everybody, and welcome to another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. I'm your host, Grant Pemberton, and on today's episode, we've got a very special guest, uh, John Rutke, who is, what, from what I've just learned, is pretty much a legend. So, uh, Ken, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks for setting this up. I'd like to talk to John uh, for about three or four days after we get done here, but uh, why don't you just uh, let everyone else know, um, you know, we talked about OGs, what an original uh this this guy is yeah so we are really privileged today to have john rutke on this show um so many of you have said to me ken you know all these people uh you need to make sure these stories from a bold get out they inspire faith uh they're part of my own background the soil from which i grew up um and john was an important part of all that I didn't know John as well in the early days as I actually know him now, but I knew I did know him. Um, and what uh, what most people would not be aware unless they were around in those days is uh, he's one of the kind of original Jesus people, hippie type, uh, you know, he got saved out of all of that. And everyone's talking about a new Jesus movement, including John. Um, he's seeing all <laughs> kinds of things happen in his home county of San Diego and beyond. Um, and he was also a very close associate of Lonnie Frisbee's, traveled with him, ministered with him for about a decade uh, or so. He can correct any data that I have off here, but from memory, it was about a decade. And uh, he's still kicking around. And as, <clears throat> as this uh, stirring of the Lord is underway, I think a lot of people like John are reemerging. So I'm just super excited that, you know, we could have him on the show. He and I have, I don't know, John, we've been probably talking on the phone more than in person face to face, but we've been pretty actively connected now for seven or eight years. Um, yeah. Yeah. About seven years ago, um, God was speaking to me about you and that I needed to kind of come alongside of you like a Barnabas that you were there was a little dip happening and I needed to come and, and help you, you know, just to encourage you, you know, just to say, Ken, whatever's happening in your life, don't worry about it. Just keep moving. So, yeah, it was, a, I remember distinctly when the Lord yeah. told me to, to connect with you. John left me when he called me, he, he didn't get me. He left a voicemail and I don't remember the length of it, but it was a lengthy voicemail. And uh, I have saved that voicemail. I, I still have it in my <laughs> voicemail box. Wow. So it really was uh, it was very impacting to me. Um, mm -hmm. Let's before we get on to everything that we could talk about, and this could go in a lot of directions. Tell us about your your early background and how you came to faith in the Jesus movement. Well, I would say that I was a uh, you know came in towards the end of the Jesus movement, maybe the middle of the Jesus movement. I was uh, uh, very you know, caught in the whole 60s, 70s deal where, you know, it was about the hippie countercultural movement and very interesting time period because so many dynamics working. And for me, I grew up in Washington, D.C., wanted to be a revolutionary kind of a voice, you know, hell no, we won't go kind of a thing, you know, back for Vietnam War and all that kind of stuff. And we were all getting ready to get drafted. So we were adamantly opposed to all those kinds of things. And really revolutionary mindsets. And you have to put it in context. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, we went from Leave it to Beaver to Jimi Hendrix. I mean, that's a big jump right there, man. Absolutely. You know, our parents were left in the dust. They were like, what? You know, we lost our kids. What, what, who, who are you anymore? You know, it, it was a big, huge deal. And then, of course, drugs came in and not just weed, but, you know, hallucinogenics. And so now we're breaking through into the supernatural <clears throat> illegally. So we have those kinds of dynamics working. So, uh, you know, pretty early on, I, I was raised Catholic. So everybody in my neighborhood was Catholic. I'm from the East Coast and didn't find much reality in there. Was really looking for, you know, good community and good people, but no the storyline wasn't strong no emphasis on the scriptures, no, none of that kind of stuff. So, you know, we left that like by the time we were in eighth grade. So by that time I was out and uh, went on to that, you know, the 
proverbial path of, you know, searching for truth and reality and all that kind of stuff. So anyways, fast forward to when I get to be like 18, I was uh, traveled to Europe, went overseas, came back. I was got an offer to play football at a college. But in that meantime, we were getting involved in uh, transcendental meditation and also Buddhism. So what happened was I landed on Buddhism and I became very devout Buddhist, led my whole family into Buddhism, led all my friends to become Buddhists. And it was just part of that whole mindset. And I can tell you about that time period when, because it also the Jesus movement was happening at that time, not so much on the East Coast, but flourishing on the West Coast. But I remember the first time we would pull people off the streets in Washington, D.C. for our Buddhist meetings, you know, which very dynamic. And I remember I brought this young black kid in. Oh, I mean, he was my age. So he, it, it was it was a guy my age came in, listened to all of our spiel and the whole thing. And this is the first time I'd ever heard this come from anybody that was of my age. And I asked him, probably have a room full of about 150 people. What did you think about this? He said, wow, very dynamic, very interesting what you guys are representing. However, I have found Jesus Christ as my savior. Boom, stop that meeting right in the middle just by using that name. I'd never heard anybody use the name of Jesus in that kind of a manner, but it took the wind out of that sail in that room. It was like, what? Get him out of here. Never, never heard that, never seen that. So anyways, I end up hitchhiking across the country going to uh, California because I was going to play football at this college down in Southern California. And so I hitchhiked across the country. I was a bit that we did that often back in that time period. It was just a mode of transpode. But uh, so as I'm hitchhiking, you know, I'm a very devout Buddhist and I'm still with that mindset very strongly. And I run into a guy in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and he's a hippie. I'm a hippie. And we're, you know, he's looking at me and I'm just going, hey, I was wondering. Yeah, I was in a bus station actually cleaning up. And he said, hey, I, I was wondering, where are you going? I said, San Francisco. He says, I live in San Francisco. I have a bus ticket, but can I go with you? So I said, yeah, for sure. You can come with me. So he says to me, before I go, I need to tell you one thing. I said, what? He says, I love Jesus. I said, awesome. I'm a Buddhist. <laughs> I didn't realize he had a sword. I had a plastic fork. You know, I mean, this guy, this guy was legit, man. He was, he was a hippie. He was very cool. Uh, I mean, I couldn't even connect sentences without the F word, you know, and I'm looking at every girl that moved. This guy, no cussing, no looking at chicks, no just a solid dude and very kind. And so I went and stayed with his family for like a week. Well, the Jesus movement had already hit. So they're all believers. Everybody in their neighborhood was a believer. So I didn't know, I, I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. So they said on a Wednesday, hey, John, we were wondering, would you go to church with us? I said, who goes to church on a Wednesday? What? Yeah, I'd love to go, you know, so I go to a church. Every single person in that church was my age. Wow. There was no old people in there. It was like, whoa. And even the guy who came out to preach was a hippie. And this guy laid it all down. And I mean, I'm talking like, you know, like talking all about Jesus and really impactful. Like, whoa, okay, I got a couple questions for him. I asked him a couple questions. This guy started laying me open in front of everybody. I said, hey, pump your brakes, man. I I need, I need to process all of this. And I don't want to do it in front of all these people. So anyways, I ended up going down to Southern California, but it impacted me so much. I had to go hitchhike down to meet with the Buddhist monks in Santa Monica, just to figure out what in the world just hit me in the face. And so with that, I, you know, they told me, oh, I said, I ran into people there called born again Christian, never heard the term, didn't know anything about any of that. I'm just going, what is that? And, but whatever it is, it's very powerful and it, it's, it, it's messing up my, my perspectives here. So they said, stay away from those people. I said, okay, well, all right, I'm going to have to put all my spirituality on a shelf because I got to make this football team. So I did. And, uh, 
you know, it was about a year after that, that I was walking up onto the campus and I'm asking these deep questions. And, you know, like we were partying hard, you know, uh, my roommate's stealing drugs. We're getting high all the time. And nobody drug tested you back then. So it was, you know, it was unheard of to have any issues with that. Half the guys were doing steroids. And so I, I'll, I'll never forget, I was going up onto the college campus that day. And I'm asking that question because I was running into that place where I was. And if the God of the universe, you need to tell me who you are. So I walked up onto the campus that day and I'm hanging out in the quad with my boys. And it was Cinco de Mayo. And I, I'm hanging out with these guys and a guy comes walking up to me, never met him before, kind of a nerdy type of a guy, orange rim glasses, you know, pencils in his pocket type. I'm going, dude, this guy's about ready to violate my space. And he came right up to me and he said, it's Jesus Christ. That's who you're looking for. I went, what? Right in front of all my friends. After that, at, uh, this was Cinco de Mayo. We we spring football and all that kind of stuff. We were going to, they wanted me to stay over the summer because I was a starting quarterback. And I told the coaches, guys, I can't stay here. I've got, I just got saved. And everybody in my family needs to get saved. <laughs> I didn't even know what I was talking about. But I can tell you one thing. I went from there, found a Bible. Thing was as big as a desk. I mean, it was like one of the family Bible deals. You know? <laughs> But things started to move very quickly and immediately got baptized in the Holy Spirit, immediately started having encounters with God. Immediately, the Lord started to, to move and, and all, amongst all my friends. You know, I couldn't stop preaching the gospel. Hitchhiked back across the country, ended up bringing all my family who I'd led into Buddhism. And I told them, guys, we need to have a family meeting. So we have a family meeting, you know, we're all around, sitting around the table. I said, so sorry, we made a wrong turn. <laughs> it's Jesus. And they said, are you a Jesus freak? And I said, look, I don't know about the freak part, but I'm definitely with Jesus. Because that's what they called us back then, Jesus freaks. Right. And, yeah. you know, I see a resurgence of Jesus freaks because people are falling in love with Jesus. I mean, look, I'm going to be 69 and I still got a fire in me. And it's only because of my love for Jesus and for that whole dynamic of what God did for us. And so my whole family came to Christ. Now we don't have any, you know, other than a Catholic background, but you know, very distant. And so I led my younger brother to the Lord. So this is how things were moving. I told my younger brother, hey, not only is Jesus the Messiah, he's the Lamb of God. That's how John introduced him, but he's also the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And he said, what does that mean? I said, I don't know. I just read it. So I laid hands on my younger brother, and the power of God knocked my brother off his feet speaking in tongues. I, I, I said, dude, get up before mom hears that. I, are you kidding me? What is wrong with you? You know, he's on the ground speaking tongues. I'm going, I've never seen anything like that. So I, I got him up and I said, what did you feel? And he said, fire from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I said, well, it says fire here. So I think we're okay. You know, and so <laughs> we were reading just whatever we read, we did it. You know, we believed it. You know, we believed every single thing that it said. So a lot of healing in there. So my mom had arth rheumatoid arthritis. Our, our dad died when we were three. So we didn't have, and there was five kids in my family and I'm a twin. So, um, you know, I said, hey, you know, mom's got rheumatoid arthritis. Hey, let's go pray for mom. Hey, mom, come on down. Would you mind coming? What are you kids doing now? You're a Buddhist. Now you're a, a Jesus freak. Now you're, I said, mom, 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 I totally understand. We want to experiment with you. We want to pray for you, mom, for you to get healed. So we have no, I'm, I'm six weeks in the Lord. My brother and I, who just gotten knocked off, off his feet onto the ground, we laid hands on her. And my mom said a flash came through her body. 
all the way down to her feet. And she was instantly healed. Wow. From rheumatoid arthritis. That's phenomenal. I love that. Uh, you uh, don't even want to cough around us. We were lunging across the table at your throat. <laughs> you know, the zeal of thy house hath consumed thee, you know, kind of a deal. Right. So anyways, that, 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 that was how I came into the kingdom. Wow. Well, there are a lot of stories like that from that era. You know, people yeah. snatched, grabbed. I don't know. You know, completely. Them sounds way too passive. It's like <laughs> they just got arrested, and you know, as yeah. Brian grabbed them and you know said, "This is it," and ate them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and uh, my whole world boom changed immediately. I mean, it was like. It was amazing. I, I was a new age kind of a radical lefty kind of a mindset perspective on everything. But down in my heart, I wanted to just know truth, you know, and I, I see the same thing where we're at right now, you know, as desperate as it is and as, as jacked up as I see it as it is, uh, man, it's getting really obvious to me that this is nothing but hunger, a preparation for hunger to see a great, great move of God. I mean, I, I the, the, it, there, there's a, the water's going out, like drifting out, like, and that behind that water drifting out is a massive wave that's about ready to hit us. And God is about ready to bear his arm like we've never seen before. Now, one of the other interesting things about the Jesus movement and so every hundred people, there was one old person. There was, I mean, I was begging for like somebody 40, you know, like <laughs> our motto was don't trust anybody over 30. But, you know, man, a 40 year old, that would be awesome. That actually read the New Testament and the Old Testament, you know, both books, including the book of Revelations, because we just wanted somebody who could actually just tell us what was happening. Because there was no older people around. That's why Chuck Smith and, uh, you know, people of that ilk were so great. I was so grateful for these guys that would, you know, lay their lives down to take on all the young people and, you know, basically teach and train and do all that kind of stuff. That's why Calvary Chapels proliferated so quickly. But they also consolidated very quickly, you know. So... You know, God help you if you wanted to get baptized in the Holy Spirit or demons cast out. It, you know, that's like not a not a place where that necessarily would have happened. But you'll know the scriptures. So those are my thoughts about that one. John, when you were, uh, <clears throat> you know, coming into all of this, there were these mass baptism services that would happen. Um particularly at that one beach in uh, Corona del Mar, but, but mm -hmm. they kind of popped up elsewhere also. Um, yeah. What was it like to attend one of those baptismal services? What went on? What was it? I didn't attend any. Well, the, the, the thing is this, you know, when you've got somebody like Lonnie, I mean, think about Lonnie. All right. Lonnie gets saved in Haight-Ashbury, you know, uh, and you know, oddly enough, I have one of my dear friends. Uh, we're actually doing a YouTube channel. His name is Ron Junkel. I think we called it Jesus Movement 2.0. I don't know. We just started this thing. But um, I told him, I said, hey, man, as old school guys that had a, he had a front row seat. I was one of the fish that got caught in the gill net. But he was to Northern California what Lonnie was to Southern California and major, major voice with a, a group called Gospel Outreach. Have you ever heard of them, Ken? Uh-huh, yeah. Gospel Outreach was a major move of God in Northern California. Ron was their leader. Lonnie was the leader in Southern California. He was the, the catalyst for that. Oddly enough, they're both artists. And uh, Lonnie was at the Art Institute. And really all of these stories, all of this story here about what I'm gonna say about Lonnie was, is in, uh, Roger Stack's book that he did about Lonnie and what it's Lonnie's actually Lonnie's story, him 
dictated into a tape recorder and really it's Roger transcribing it. So it's not like Roger's interpretation of what Lonnie's saying. It's Lonnie's words. Like when I read, when I read it, I'm just going, man, it's so good to hear from Lonnie again, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and his second and third book, you know, all of these are transcribes from transcriptions from Lonnie and also people that were alongside of Lonnie. But anyways, I mean, think about how powerful an explosion this was because, um, You've got somebody who's like, by the time Lonnie was 19, he's pastoring 500 people. And he's, you know, two years removed from doing hallucinogenics, you know, I mean, <laughs> things were moving quickly. Things were moving very quickly. You know, God was doing a work and it didn't not fit the paradigm of the religious system of that time. Right. That this was a for real paradigm shift or a wineskin shift uh, however you'd like to to see it and it was happening so quickly and so powerfully that uh people could not keep up with it and it became a phenomenon you know as the jesus movement and uh but you had broken people leading other broken people and if i if i was to like characterize the jesus movement in three things i would say it would have been like the community aspect of it, which we have been missing in the body of Christ. We are now coming back to a community relationship with one another, you know? Um, so community was a big deal. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit broke the power of sin over our lives. And many of us were crawling up illegally uh, the walls of the supernatural and going into the supernatural through pharmacia. So it was breaking the power of sin and that that hold that that had on us, and also the preeminence of the return of Christ. You know that would played a very pivotal role, and because we thought Jesus was coming back next week, so therefore <laughs> the fear of God was on us, very strong. But man, it it proliferated the growth. It really got us moving quickly to uh, not just evangelize, but to lay our lives down. So, um, you know, I would say that those three things were the characteristics. And thus, when anything would happen, it all came in community. It all came with uh, especially young people and hunger. There was a hunger spiritually for us to come into the reality of the kingdom of God. And I really believe that. Truth and reality are synonymous terms. And when you come and you touch the kingdom, not the church world. I think they did a survey here recently, you know, one of these mega churches. And my friend was telling me about it. He said they did a, a survey and 76% of the people that were non-churched, that were uh, outside of the body of Christ, were asked these questions. And they said, we're very, very interested in the story of who Jesus Christ is. Very interested in uh, all the the uh, community that would come along with that, but we're not interested in the church world as we know it. And I thought, boy, that that is really kind of an enlightening kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, people are wanting community. They want community. They want koinonia. You know, notice that that term was in the book of Acts, koinonia. They broke bread from house to house, the simplicity of just what that was. So I found myself just coming back to the very simplicity of that whole thing. And that's why I've been about for the last 20 years doing house churches. And you came to one of those gatherings that we had. What did you think, Ken? Yeah, I liked it a lot. It was great. And it was clear that Everybody there was on fire for the Lord. It was clear mm -hmm. that uh, everybody there was wanting to connect with one another. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the meeting, the meeting was free flowing and it went late. Yeah. People don't want to leave to these things. Yeah. Even now in our gatherings, they don't want to leave. They just want to hang out. They want to be around the presence of God. I and, think, you know, quite honestly, you can I think that cast out demons. I think that community feature is, uh, I think it's an, it's a more readily, 
I don't know how to say it. It's a more readily accessed thing for young adults than it is for mm-hmm. people who are midlife. Um, their mm-hmm. lives are simpler. They don't yet have families. They don't have careers. They don't have mortgage payments. They they can stay up late because their bodies are younger and they don't need as much sleep. But bottom line, um, <laughs> and you know, if you just look at <clears throat> you look at young adults and the the way they live life, they often hang around in groups, and so that community dynamic. I'm not saying that people our age may not need that or even want that. It's that mm-hmm. I think when you're dealing with 20 year olds or 30 year olds, maybe uh, they more readily reach out for that and more readily live that life because somehow the other aspects of their life are more conducive to it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I would say that, but we have other groups, other house uh, groups that are older and we have the same thing happening and we can't fit any more people into these houses. That's how packed they're getting because it it's hunger that's drawing everybody. Plus, you know, you can pray for people to get filled with the Holy Spirit in these things. You can cast out demons. It's not a big deal for people in our groups. You know, uh, people get freed up quickly, um, and then you can disciple people easily. It's it's more, it, it's far more functional. Plus, it's cheap. I'm a cheapskate, so you know, <laughs> I do things completely cheap. And um, inefficiently and functioning, you know, on a on as many cylinders as possible. So, so I'm seeing, I'm seeing a resurgence of what, and both Ron and I have uh, collaborated on a lot of these gatherings, and we are seeing. I, I've often said to my friend Ron, Ron, are, does this not look like? And, you know, and Ron's 74 now, and, but we're still old hippies, you know, I mean, down inside, we're still hippies, but Ron said, yeah, man, this looks very similar to what it looked like when we were their age, and the, the, they don't realize that they're, they're all coming out of such brokenness and out of real sin. I mean, you know, half of the groups that I'm dealing with are coming out of crystal meth. I mean, the house that we're using in uh, our Santee group down in San Diego, he was an enforcer for the angels and meth for 20 years. His wife, 12 years, was crystal meth and grew up in a crack house. These guys are weeping over people. I mean, this kind of getting deemed in their lives or I mean they're they're trophies for God. So very time. I mean I'm highly motivated. You know, even at this life, I'm very motivated. You know, that scripture says you got a teachers, but you got few fathers. Well, they're in this pair, so now that's the role I'm playing, you know. So which I relish and I love. So it's been very exciting. You know, I was talking with someone last night. Um, I preached at a church in Southern California, and uh, I I can't I can't say a lot because this is a public forum. But I will say that um, I I ended up in a conversation with the wife of one of the high level administrators of one of the major universities here in the Los Angeles area, and mm. this this woman was telling me that they are seeing mass gatherings on their campus, hundreds and mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of college mm-hmm. students coming mm-hmm. and praying and confessing their sins. And these meetings are going until dawn. And then, wow. yeah. And then these kids are going off to class. I mean, they're not sleeping, but you know, you can do this for a short period of time. And, uh, you know, many are coming to faith and people are being baptized and, and I thought mm. that's really something. And then this woman had been brought by a friend of mine who said, you know, we've lived in this area for many, many decades, and we haven't seen anything like this in 30 years or more. Wow. Wow. Is it a college? It's a university campus, campus or I mean, a Christian college campus or I, wow. I can't say too much. It's a university. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. Los Angeles yeah. area. It's a major wow. known university. This is not some tier five university that isn't even accredited. This is a major university where this is happening. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. 
uh, about maybe eight, nine years ago, I was in my backyard and I was gardening. And the Lord spoke to me in the middle of, I was planting tomato plants. And he said, I'm going to pour my spirit out on College Station. And a great revival is going to come from that college that's there. I had no idea where College Station was. I had no idea what university was there. And I had to go, I remember I sat down on a bench. I called my friend in Texas. I said, do you know anybody in College Station? He said, I do. I said, okay, I'm coming down there. Went and bought a ticket that day. Flew down to College Station to find out it's Texas A&M that's down there. And I mean, I'm telling these guys, and God's going to move and the Holy Spirit's going to move here and a revival is going to go up that, you know, I-35 corridor. I had no idea about any of this stuff. And I said, the Lord's going to touch every college campus in Texas off of this. And uh, come to find out, one of the kids I discipled moved to College Station. So we started a Jesus gathering down there in College Station. And uh, in anticipation of what's about ready to happen. So we've been doing these things called Jesus gatherings. And they're just simple, organic kind of meeting, gathering places. We started, though, in College Station. And uh, so this young guy who I disciple, his name is Matt Whalen, very, very good brother. Um, so we've been establishing these Jesus gatherings. We just did one in Boston just a couple weeks ago. Boston's like a graveyard for churches. Yeah. And boy, I'll tell you, man, God is showing up in these Jesus gatherings. You know, I, I when I flew in, Ken, you'd appreciate this. I saw the principality over Boston. You know, it was <laughs> in my mind's eye. This is how I saw it. It was a massive demon. And he had a hat with a tassel, like a graduation tassel on him. Oh. And he, he was he was massive. And he just flung his arm across the city and at the end of when he flung his arm it was a spirit of unbelief that he was generating across that whole city and uh you know so i god is going to undermine he's got minutemen planted everywhere like a revolutionary war and people are you know doctors lawyers uh, construction workers, professors with uh, on one place, but there's their little musket around the corner and they become adamant fighters for this revolution. And that was part of the Jesus movement. We wanted a revolution. I had no idea it was going to be a Jesus revolution. Right. That was the furthest thing from my mind. That was the furthest thing from my mind. But when the Lord got a hold of me, I realized this was everything that I was looking for. And so, you know, for almost the last 50 years, that's what I've been focused on, you know. One of the things I find challenging about this, now you you predate me a bit in this, but I caught the tail end of the Jesus revival. I was I was in high school and I was not um I was not a material participant i was more of an observer but i had friends that were going to calvary chapel every week and they would invite mm -hmm. me to come and sometimes i went and so on then i was you know obviously very deeply involved in the vineyard movement but um the thing that i found in the aftermath of all that was you know when when the tide goes out again and it seems like you know the anointing is drying up or the glory lifts or whichever way people mm -hmm. want to characterize that the intensity and the fervor begins to abate. <clears throat> there's a real, um, there's a sense of emptiness. There's a sense of loneliness. Mm -hmm. there's a sense yes, of yes. What, yes. what must we do to get this back? Uh, mm -hmm. God, how, how do we get you to return to us in that way? Uh, mm -hmm. Couldn't this go on? Does it, does it really have to be of a finite duration? Can't it just, can't it just go forever? Mm. And I don't, I've never really solved that question, but I will say this. I know in the years after the vineyard sort of moved on and it, and it was no longer the glory years, as it were, the revival had ended. I mean, the vineyard continued on obviously as a movement, but, but those years of intensity and fire and all the stuff that we saw and experienced, um, 
whenever I would gather with people who had been there, these would, you know, these were friends of Beth's and mine, and we would, you know, get together mm -hmm. with them periodically for dinner or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes there'd be a funeral or there'd be a wedding of one of their children or something. So we would gather however we did, whenever we did. And always there was this sense of um, what, what would it take for this to occur again? How, how do we, mm -hmm. how do we find that again? Because no matter where we've gone trying to stay and stay connected with God, no matter what church, no matter what ministry, no matter what Bible teacher we found, we would have said then on the radio nowadays, it would be a podcast or a YouTube thing. But no matter what that is, it, it's like it doesn't it's not the same. It doesn't satisfy. Mm -hmm. and, and we're looking and longing for that to happen again. Mm. I, you didn't say this, but I, I think I heard some refrain of that in your own characterization of what went on in the Jesus revival. Mm. What do you think it would take to have all of that recur? Mm. Boy, you just stirred something up in me. Mm. Thank you for sharing that, Ken. You know, I, I, I have often said this, you know, these moves of god have a propensity to have a short shelf life you know right and i was watching as the i honestly i didn't know anything about church can you know as uh like a formal gathering kind of a thing it was all community centered it was all of us it was coffee houses it was just us gathering and just studying the scriptures memorizing scriptures doing all that kind of stuff and then all of a sudden you see the consolidation of it and to be quite honest with you, you know, this is like 1979. That's when I met Lonnie. And of course, Lonnie, you know, was uh, there. We should do a whole series just on Lonnie. <laughs> you know, he could take up a lot of space, you know. But uh, when I met Lonnie, he was coming. He had already come out of the shepherding movement, which that's right. a whole nother story. Had gotten back into cahoots with Chuck. And had gone on a missionary journey. It's in the book of uh, what what uh, Roger wrote or Roger helped put together. If for those who are interested, but um, and when Lonnie and I connected, we were hunting anything that moved in the spirit. Right. That's how desperate we were. And what was moving was the worship at a Calvary Chapel in Yorba Linda. We were circling that camp big time because of the, 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 just the presence of the Spirit of God from the worship aspect of it. And there was something of life coming from that. It's amazing how people are drawn to life, Ken. And I literally thought this potentially could be a resurgence of the Jesus movement. Both Lonnie and I did. We're going, dude, the Lord's moving here. But they don't know how to move in the spirit. That's how we were assessing it. And so what we did was we went to uh, Lonnie said, well, let's go see what the intercessors are saying. So if you want to find out what's going on, get with the intercessors. So we go found this intercessory group that was part of that. And that's where and that also is in one of the books that Lonnie wrote or uh, about Lonnie. And uh I think I have a portion in that book, and I shared this testimony of how I saw a group of people get together and weeping and wailing, like like travail, like I never seen travail before. This looked like this woman looked like she was giving birth to a marine man. I mean, it was a whopper. She was wailing, and I told Lonnie, "Man, what is up with this?" He says, "Well, why don't you ask her?" So I asked her. So I said, "What do you what?" Are you sensing what 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 is making you be driven to that place of anguish in the spirit? She said, "There's a bottleneck in our church," and I said, "Really? What what is it?" They said, "The pastor." <laughs> I said, "Yeah." I said, "You mean John Wimber?" She said, "Yeah. He's the bottleneck for what God's about ready to do, and he's got to get popped. Otherwise, he's gonna he's gonna hold back what God wants to do." thought, wow, that is strange. Within three weeks, Lonnie and I are in, are in back of Wimber's house at a barbecue. Yeah. Sam Thompson's there. Uh, all, all the leaders are there. 
And they're all like, oh, Lonnie, we know you're here. We see you circling us. You little sneaky guy. You, you know, We're going to cut you loose. We've all decided we're going to have you to share on Mother's Day. I pulled Lonnie aside. I said, Lonnie, they have no idea what they're asking for. None. <laughs> I said, they are clueless to what's going to happen. Lonnie said, no, dude, I am going to. I'm really going to dial it back. I'm not going to, these are nice people. I don't want to screw up their church and I'm just going to dial it way back. I thought, okay, we'll see how that goes. You know, and of course the rest is history. And, you know, it's just, you know, I mean, Wimber thought he lost his church. And then actually we were talking about Don Absher before uh, we got into the, our conversation and Don, Absher is a dear friend of mine. And um, first time I took Don with me up to meet with John Wimber, uh, it was a meeting with all the leaders of the Calvary Chapel, Your Belinda. And they were so upset. And they were going to, John was going to have Lonnie share what happened from a theological standpoint. Well, Lonnie gets up there. And first of all, he kicks off his flip-flops and he burped into the microphone because he had stomach issues. And I, I also I could see was sweat coming down Wimber's face, you know, and the more Lonnie talked, the stupider it got, you know, I mean, I was just going like, dude, this is going from like one to 10. This is like now negative four <laughs> and people in the room, I, there's like, I'm telling you, there's like 70 people in this room. I've got my friend Don and, you know, I'm like going, oh, my goodness, Lonnie, you are screwing this thing up. I mean, you can't even explain theologically anything that's happening. It's getting stupider the more you talk. And Wimber st stands up and he says, I think what Lonnie's trying to say is, and he starts to give it some theological, you know, presentation. And uh, <laughs> and I mean, you could the tension in the room was so intense. And I'm just going, oh, my, this is a disaster. Lonnie gets up and he says, that's not what I mean at all. What I meant is this. If you don't come into a reality with God yourself and the Holy Spirit needs to touch you, you're going to go nowhere. And wham, the power of God fell on us. And for the next three hours, we couldn't get up off the floor. The presence of God just came. And that was like kind of sealed the deal with all the leaders in the church because there was no denying what happened and the spirit of God just came on us. And so, you know, it's, you can talk about it or you can step into it, you know, and that's kind of what happened. But my point is this, that I thought this was now the Jesus movement now being extended forward except it was the 2.0 version of it. Because now we the worship was like, wow, on a whole nother level. Remember, it started with Maranatha music. Do you remember that, Ken? I absolutely yeah. remember that. And I mean, that was our music because mm -hmm. that was our, our, it spoke to us because all of these guys, and Lonnie led most of these guys to the Lord, you right. know? And they were all coming from very broken backgrounds. Everybody's, you know, drunks and, you know, drug addicts and all that kind of stuff. And everybody's coming through that whole portion of it. And they're bringing this music that we could relate to that was so powerful. And I remember the first time I brought one of their albums home with me on the East Coast. And I said, guys, we even have our own music. Now, listen to this. We all just sat around and just couldn't believe what we were hearing. And we were doing it without smoking weed, which was amazing. And we were all getting touched and the presence of God was coming on us and the Holy Spirit was moving on us in, in ways. So music is a big factor in this. Now, what I found about the music part of this, once Maranatha became a professional kind of a deal where they had to bang out this amount of albums and it seems like the oil stops. Right. And I saw that with the vineyard. And I remember, you know, Vineyard, well, 
the the whole thing happened where it was a Calvary Chapel, and then Chuck said, "We're not going on in this direction," uh, which was a big deal, you know. Like I, I, everybody came together, and John was on one side, Chuck was on the other, and all these guys grew up under the Calvary Chapel deal, you know. Like some of these guys even ten years into this thing, you know. And Chuck was their spiritual father, and Chuck said, "Today you're going to make a decision. You're either going with John or going with me." Oh, my goodness. Guys just started weeping, you know. And the guys that went with John, and then we all went to John. Uh, I'm not sure if it, who, if it was John's house or if it was the, uh, what was that house called um, back Wagner in that house. time period? Wagner, Wagner House. Wagner House. Yeah. Yeah, the Wagner House is when the Spirit of God fell that I was just talking about. But anyways, Ken Goldson's playing the piano at the, either at Wimber's house or Wagner's house. Where there's about 10 of us there, you know. And he's playing the piano and he's looking at John and he says, you know, I think you're supposed to take over all the vineyards, you know, because his church was called the vineyard. Right. And, uh, you know, he was in his own right, very, I mean, he, not just a songwriter, but a, a teacher, a speaker. Ken Gullickson was, I mean, another force that you hardly hear anything about. But Ken's said, I think, John, you're supposed to take over the vineyards. And that's how... You know, the whole thing that day, and everybody's going, yeah, that sounds great. The vineyard, yeah. And that's how it all started. Right. And, you're, you you know, you never could have imagined that a whole movement would happen from that. Right. But once once the, the horses got out of the barn, man, that was it. Spirit of God started to drop, and it was almost like we we – kind of backed up with a semi-truck full of AK-47s in the spirit, and we just started passing them out to everybody, and everybody started to move with great power, with great anointing. And uh, we started to see a tremendous amount of miracles. And it was soon in that time period, probably within another year, you came into the picture there while it was uh, – but that was kind of like the very beginnings of all of that. And um, But, you know, John – jumped into it, started to give some theological content. Um, you know, Blaine was a big part of that. You know, actually, when God spoke to me about getting in touch with you, he spoke to me about getting in touch with Blaine Cook, too. And just encourage you guys, you know, just say, you guys did a great job. You know, the enemy tried to take you got all you guys out, just like he tried to take all of us out. But, you know, you're still standing and you still got a fire on the inside of you, you know. So anyways, one last thought about this, and then we can move on from here. But I saw the vineyard music was it it heavily influenced, I would say, you know, certainly Bethel and everything that you see now, and what you see in Aust coming out of Australia with Hillsong. Vineyard by far influenced all of those things, all of that music, all of that of how to do those kinds of things. The problem was I started to see, and this was kind of getting back to my kind of hippie roots, man. Uh, they were setting up too many money changing tables around everything. The moment that I saw them do that, boom, I knew the oil was going to stop. Now, when you it said money changing tables, that we know what that is in the Bible. What, what does that mean in this context? In this context, it became a business. The music industry became a business because, let me tell you, they were the biggest show in town at that particular point in time. And let me tell you, that music would put you, drop you straight to your knees. But once they founded, you know, actually Lonnie and I gave John our ministry. It was, uh, we, we call it Broken Bread Ministries. And we felt like that was the, we, we needed to surrender that to John so he could use it for however and whatever he needed. And that became VMI. Right. And that became like, uh, you know, I just, it was, they had to make a certain amount of albums per quarter. Otherwise they weren't going to meet the budget for the da, 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 you know? And so now, now it becomes a business. And I saw immediately the oil stop for the inspiration. I saw it even with the, uh, uh, not this, uh, the, the uh, not, not the seminars, what do you call them? Um, conferences. They, 
conferences. Okay, they, uh, the first time that I saw it was uh, we were putting on the first conference on healing. It was so powerful. I mean, we had so much momentum behind us. We were the biggest show in town. And I remember the first conference and they were going to charge like $100 per person. I said, what? hundred? Whoa, 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 whoa. I said, <laughs> I'm talking to everybody about this. And I said, wait a second, hold up. What? And they said, oh, not you, John, you're going to be on this side of the table to help us with that side of the table. I said, I'm not touching any of that. And no. once I saw that, I said, it's already over before we even got started. You know, and this is probably, probably while you were there, you know, and I'm just going, man, how can we keep this pure? How do we keep this so that it doesn't become a business? And, you know, I, I, I heard it said like this, that it left Jerusalem mm -hmm. as a belief system, moved to Greece, became a philosophy, went to Rome, became an empire, came to America, became a business. And somehow we need to monetize everything. And so it, if we don't get back to the ancient paths here, like Jeremiah talks about, if we don't get back, he says this at Jeremiah 2, 8, I think it is. He said, I have this against you. You've forsaken me, the fountain of, of living water, and you built for yourself cisterns that can hold no water. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to get back to that place of simplicity and the power of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives and in our midst. And, you know, just the simplicity of that so that it's not a business. And I know, and listen, I support people. I, you know, uh, uh, people are worthy of their wages. A workman's worthy of his wages. I have no issues with any of that stuff. However, when we make it a business and, and quite honestly, Ken, I see, I see a major, major, breakdown of our monetary system coming very quickly. So my question to everybody is, are you still going to hold a title as like a pastor or whatever your title, whatever you call yourself? Uh, by the way, pastor is only one time in the New Testament and is an office, which means shepherd, you know? Yeah. So we've got to, we've got to see it for what it is. We slap this stuff all over everybody and then they have to live around that title. And they're nothing like that, you know, you know, I mean, it's not that you don't have pastoral kind of things on you, Ken, but dude, you're, you're, <laughs> you're far, you're, you, if, if you had to live under just that title, I think you would like look for the Coronado Bridge quick, you know, that, would, that, would, that is correct. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's just not your who you are, you know, yeah. you've got to be who you are and who God has called you to be, you know, which Dude, you are getting gaining a voice in the body of Christ, like big time. So I commend you on that, and that you've kept a purity and what God has called you to do, and you're helping move the body of Christ forward and advance the kingdom of God. So I commend you on that. But when I saw this all happening, it just I it was grievous, and and then of course you know Lonnie, I'm Lonnie's roommate, and we're having to walk through all this stuff, and you know you don't get any more controversial than Lonnie. <laughs> Before I know it, you know there Lonnie's out out of the whole thing because of all of his issues, and he had issues, you know, and people need to know that there's just some issues there, you know. Ken and I've talked about this apart from this kind of a setting, and you know, um, I had to go with Lonnie, you know, I, it was everything that I could not do to jump onto that spaceship that uh, called the vineyard that was, you know, launching at that time. I had the, it was at the perfect age with the perfect anointing on me to go be part of that leadership of that. But I, I left my friend while he was going to Adullam's cave, man. I, it just, I, I had to go with him. You know, I had to be true to myself and help my buddy. Otherwise, he would have been losing his mind. But anyways, I'm sorry, Ken, I'm dominating this whole thing. That's fine. It's it's totally fine. Um, in Let's wrap it up, though, because um, we're about out of time. I have a, a quick question for you. What are the three okay. most important lessons that you have learned 
uh, or two, if you only have two, out of going through these moves of God and being around a long time and observing. They may be things you learned directly from Lonnie and he told you, and they may be your own observations. They may be things that you saw people do wrong. Don't do that. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could have learned this, but what are your top takeaways um, just in closing kind of succinctly? Okay, so what I would say is this. Try to make yourself offense-proof. You know, I saw Lonnie get hurt along the way, like big time. Yeah. And, you know, there's a scripture that says a root of bitterness defiles many. I saw a, him get hit with a root of bitterness. Now, I had to deal with that with him. And I, you know, literally, I could see the damage that it was doing. And also that he was being isolated from having any impact on the body of Christ. And I told him, I said, you're going to get uh, quarantined from the body of Christ if you continue with this mindset and bitterness. And I, I actually, Lonnie speaks about it in his, the third book that he wrote, which, you know, again, one of the things that I like about old hippies is they're authentic. And so Lonnie really shares a lot of those issues, and I had to deal with it. And so it's the mentee telling the mentor what's happening. And so that was a very painful thing. So I would say you have to remain offense-proof. You cannot hold offense to you. It's like being in a big family, and there's just misunderstandings. Things happen. The body of Christ is called to be a family. And you cannot hold on to those kinds of things. That's number one. Number two, you have to find as a living stone who you're fitly joined to in this season, especially now. Who are your people? Find yeah. your people and find them quickly. Because what I see coming, we're out on a surfboard. We're turned around. And we are needing to paddle quickly. It's funny. You have to paddle on a surfboard in order to catch a wave. You don't just sit there and right. let the wave come. You actually have to build your own momentum. Right. So wherever you're at right now, get moving. Get Unload that brood of bitterness. Unload those things that have gripped you and let it go. It's not worth it. Who hasn't been hurt? Please. You know, we have all eternity to work all this stuff out. Listen, we, you know, the kernels of sand that are in, left in my hourglass, bro, they're going to all be used for the kingdom. So be offense proof. Find your place in God. You're hearing a lot about this as people come into their identity as sons and daughters. You know, that's a big deal. That seems to be a recurring theme in the body of Christ right now. So those those are the two most important things. And the other thing is to begin to move and what God has called you to move in. Don't be afraid. If you need the power of the Holy Spirit to do what we're talking about, it is not going to be, and I've shared this on many different occasions, we, it's, we're producing, if you don't move in power, you're a Mormon with good doctrine. That's all you are. What, what do you have to say to anybody? about anything. God <laughs> wants you to move in power. Right. He wants you to move in power and anointing. And that everything that Ken and I are talking about right now with with what happened with the Jesus movement and the vineyard movement, it came with great power and great anointing over people that are broken. There's like not many, you know, that are noble in our midst, but people that are broken people that God has used. And he wants to use broken people. So you're a prime candidate to be used in this next move of God that's coming, and it's not very far away. All right, John, that was fantastic. Thank you for sharing memories from times gone. There are not many left who can tell these stories. Um, I don't know. They've disappeared. I don't think they're all dead, but you, it's not easy to find those people. Um, so thank yeah. you for joining us and telling us the stories. Yeah, no, my pleasure. My pleasure, pleasure, Ken. You know, listen, I'm really grateful for you, brother. And I'm grateful that you're still, you know, got a little fire on inside of you. I can see it. Yeah, I still got some fire in me. Yeah, you do. You do. And Grant, it was super nice to meet you, brother. And I'm grateful Absolutely. that you're uh, that you're alive and well and kicking. And boy, this next generation coming up, Ken, it's got to give you some hope, huh? 
these guys are looking like, like they're capable. Yeah, well, well, there's there's a lot of them like Grant that are roughly his vintage, um, and I'm increasingly interacting with them. So I, I think they're the the leaders of this this next thing that's coming along that's going to harvest the twenty something year olds. Grant's old enough that he could almost be the parent of a twenty something year old. He's not quite there yet, but he's not getting quite. He's no, getting he's up. Uh, he's up. How old are you, Grant? I'm thirty seven. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, man. He's just, he's just getting a stride now. That's right. That's right. You know, that's, that's awesome, brother. Praise the Lord. Well, what a joy to be with you guys. Hey, thank you so much for taking time out and for being with us. Uh, we'll be right back here this time next week with another episode of God is not a theory with Ken. Flesh. recently updated the Orbis Ministries app with Ken's free teaching archive. You can click on the link in the description of this podcast to download today.